Corner Fringe Ministries presents a 12-part series on the divine nature of God. Please enjoy the study. We are doing a study on the divine nature of God, a study where we are going through the scriptures to prove that Yeshua, Jesus, is in fact deity, that he is both Lord and God, because there are specific movements known as the Unitarian Movement, just to name one, Messianic Unitarians and Christian Unitarians that are coming against this theology. And so today we are going to be talking about a specific title that Yeshua bears. And that title is called the Son of God. The Son of God with the definite article. Now it's important for you to understand that Unitarians, they don't believe that just because Yeshua is identified in the New Testament as the Son of God that that makes him God. They don't believe that. Let me explain why. If we go to Scripture, we find that there are many different people referred to as the Son of God, okay? Such as in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, which says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So here we have Israel as a nation, as a whole, being called God's son. You could say they are the son of God. David, in chapter 2 of Psalms, he's identified as the son of God or God's son. His son Solomon is identified as God's son. You look in Job, the first couple chapters, we find the sons of God presenting themselves before the Lord on a specific day. It's referring to angels. Well, does that make the angels God? Did it make David God? Did it make Solomon God because he's called God's son? Does it mean that the nation of Israel is all, all of a sudden God because they're referred to as God's son? This is the argument from the Unitarian camp that just because you are called the son of God, it doesn't necessarily make you God. In fact, they'll even take it a step further and state that Yeshua taught this very thing concerning himself, and it was his own self-proclamation, that he is not God. And what they'll do is, my experience, uh, multiple times, where you'll have a Unitarian come to you and take you to John chapter 10, a chapter which we had covered, at least part of it, last week. And they'll take you here to show you that Yeshua had his own self-awareness that he wasn't God. So let's take a look at this. John chapter 10, verse 33. It states... The Jews answered Yeshua, saying, For good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now remember, he had just said, I and my Father are one. And the Jews interpreted that correctly. They interpreted it accurately. Well, you're blaspheming, because you're making yourself God. Now we continue on verse 34. Yeshua answered them, Is it not written in your law that I said you are God's? This is, this is where the Unitarians begin. They'll, they'll bring this to you. And if you go to the... Yeshua's quoting Psalm 82 here. And if you go to the Hebrew, it's a good translation. Because that word used in the Hebrew is Elohim, for gods. Elohim. And if you've been with us in this study, you know what that means. So Yeshua says, I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken... I want you to 
let that sink in for a second. She was doing something here intentionally. And the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. So, in a Unitarian mindset, they look at this passage and they'll purport that Yeshua is telling us that he is not God here. That's what he's doing. Yeshua is just basically telling the Jews, settle down, you're getting out of control, don't get worked up, because you yourself are called Elohim. You yourself are called gods. Well, it's almost as though they're trying to present to us that Yeshua in fact, lowered himself, if you will, reduced his stature to create an equilibrium between these Jews and himself, or bring them up, or whatever. Um, but it's in the sense that they're trying to create this atmosphere where Yeshua, he's, he's trying to create an equilibrium, and they shouldn't get worked up. But the reality is, is nothing could be farther from the truth. Just look at this passage. If you, if you study it closely, you realize what is actually being said here it's beautiful. You discover nowhere in this passage does Yeshua recant his statement that he and his father is one. Okay, that's very important. He doesn't retract his statement, but rather he goes further to confirm it. In one place at the beginning, I call these the bookends. At the beginning, he says, I and my father are one. And then he goes on further to confirm that by stating, I am the son of God. That's what he says. So Yeshua, what he is doing here, he is simply conveying to them that this outrageous statement that he's made, it shouldn't trouble them because the Father has sent him. This is what the scriptures foretold of. Scriptures cannot be broken, right? Isn't that what he said? In other words, Yeshua is simply alluding to the fact here that the scriptures support his stance. They testify, they confirm of these outrageous claims he just made. Therefore, they should believe the scriptures and not be troubled. And Scripture is quite clear. Yeshua is the Son of God. The totality of the Scriptures prove this time and time and time again. And this title, Son of God, more specifically, the, with the definite article, the Son of God, this is a title that is reserved exclusively for Yeshua and Yeshua alone. You know, I've mentioned several times over my past studies that when you look at specific titles that, the, that Yeshua carries, the different names that are given to him in Scripture, he has many different names, a multitude of names in Scripture to refer to Yeshua. When you look at these names, they tell us something. They're always descriptors about a specific characteristic that Yeshua possesses. For example, Lamb of God. He is called the Lamb of God. Well, this is a specific title that alludes to the fact that signifies he is the sacrifice. He is the atonement for the sins of the world. If you and I were to have a conversation exclusively, let's just say about Yom Kippur, or about Yeshua atoning for the sins of Israel, there's a high probability that this title will come up. Why? Because it is this title by which we signify him as our salvation, as giving us atonement from our sins. Amen? Let me give you another example. Son of David. Sometimes we refer to the Mashiach ben David or just ben David. When the people went out and saw him and cried out to him and said, Son of David, have mercy on us. What were they doing? 
They were confessing with their mouth, showing the faith in their heart, I know who you are. You're the king of Israel. That's who you are. It's the confession. This is a title that alludes to the fact that signifies Yeshua is king. It's no different with this title, the Son of God. The Son of God. This title tells us something about him. It signifies his divine nature. It reveals that he is deity. And it is this title we're going to be taking a close look at today. What it means, what it meant to the people of Yeshua's day, what it meant to even the people before Yeshua's day. And just how important it is that you personally understand what this title means and that you personally make this confession. Now, if you remember last week, one of the things that we had talked about was this miraculous conception of Yeshua in Miriam's womb, right? Where we saw that Yeshua, he was conceived by the Ruach HaKodesh, which means the Holy Spirit literally came down and impregnated Mary. So it's literally the Father God in heaven. See, Yeshua was not conceived by man. He was conceived by his Father. The Ruach HaKodesh came down and he is literally the Son of God. Well, I want to continue to build upon this framework because what you're going to see today is that this title, the Son of God, it is an open declaration to the world who Yeshua is, that he is both, as Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And the New Testament witness to this very thing, it is so strong, it is so compelling that we even find a Jewish philosopher wrestling with this very concept to the point that he is forced to make a statement like the following. He says, from my youth onwards, I have found in Jesus, my great brother, that Christianity has regarded and does regard him as God and Savior, has always appeared to me a fact of the highest importance, which for his sake and my own, I must endeavor to understand. I am more than ever certain that a great place belongs to him in Israel's history of faith and that this place cannot be described by any of the unusual categories, or the usual categories. This is quite a statement. This is a prolific statement. Think about it. For Judeo-Christianity to regard Yeshua as both God and Savior, as this Jewish philosopher put it, it is of the highest importance. And it is something that we must endeavor, as believers in Yeshua, to understand. I mean, truly have a full understanding of it. You know, as I pointed out in week one, one of the biggest stumbling blocks to Judaism, what prevents the Jewish people from confessing Yeshua as their personal Lord and Savior, is in fact that Judeo-Christianity confesses Him as both God and Savior. So if we want to be a light to the Jewish people, and we love the Jewish people, we're going to need to be able to articulate the most fundamental principle in all of Judeo-Christianity. Ironically, the most fundamental principle in Judaism. And that is Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We need to be able to articulate to the Jews and to the world what this means. That it in fact means that Yeshua is one with his Father. That he is a Chad. And we need to be able to do this through scriptural means. So with that said, I want to begin today by going to the Tanakh and we're going to be looking at a prophecy. It's a very important prophecy for us to look at because it tells us something about the one who is to come. It's a prophecy 
about one who is to come, and it's not ambiguous. This one who is to come is identified by name. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Think about the one who is to come. He pardons iniquity. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That is yod heh vav -Heh, The way of Yahweh. He's named. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, or Elohim. Elohim. He is named by name. Now, we're also told about one crying in the wilderness here. And this person cries out. The sole purpose for him crying out is to declare, right? To prepare the way of Yahweh. That's the whole purpose in his coming. The passage is explicit who is coming. It's Yahweh. Therefore, Yahweh sends his servant, right? To prepare his way. And who is this servant who prepares the way? Well, when John the Baptist was asked who he was, listen to how he responds. John 1.23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Mashiach, nor Eliyahu, nor the uh, Hanavi? Okay? Yochanan answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, is, uh, who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Okay, so the first thing is, is this one crying out in the wilderness, this is John the Baptist. He was sent to do what? To prepare the way of Yahweh. I keep emphasizing that. Now listen to how he speaks of Yeshua in this passage, because this is who he's talking about in verse 27. It is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. I want you to think about something that Yeshua said in Matthew 11. Matthew said, or Yeshua said in Matthew 11 that John the Baptist, as far as men go, among those who have been born among women, who've raised up from among men, there's not one greater than John the Baptist. I want you to think about who this character is. You have Noah, Moses. Joseph, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Elisha. Uh, you have all these prominent men in Scripture, Job. I mean, the greats of the greats. And yet of this one, Yeshua says, there's none greater than John the Baptist, born among women. He is called the prophet of the highest. And look at what he says. I want to put this in context, because what does this man say? Who Yeshua testifies, none who have been born among women are greater than him. He testifies, I'm not worthy to loose his sandal strap. This John is putting into context the one whom he is preparing the way for. That he has been sent to prepare the way for. These things were done in Beth Barah beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Quite a peculiar statement, I think, considering John the Baptist was born before Yeshua. John the Baptist began his ministry before Yeshua. And yet he says he was before me. Again, what is John alluding to? His eternal pre-existence. The one he has come to testify of is not normal. All right? Verse 31, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Just think about this for a second, the greatness of this one who was to come. The one who didn't baptize with water, but with the Ruach HaKodesh. In other words, the one that was to come was beyond compare. There's none like him. So what does John testify concerning this one? This is the testimony. Verse 34, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's his testimony. The one whom the Holy Spirit sat upon, he is the Son of God. And the article is there in the Greek. The Son of God. Not a Son of God. The Son of God. Now this event where John witnesses the Spirit of God coming down on Yeshua, you need to understand that this really was the commencement, the inauguration, if you will, of Yeshua's ministry. Now, immediately after this commencement, this inauguration, we find that Yeshua, he's led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, But what I find most interesting about this event is the methodology by which Satan comes to challenge Yeshua. You know, oftentimes, when we read this passage, the primary focus is generally on the fact that Yeshua is being tempted. Which, agreed, I understand Yeshua was being tempted. But if you look at the story a bit closer, you discover the primary focus here was Satan coming to challenge Yeshua regarding who he was. That was the temptation. Let's take a look at this in Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. Think about this. John the Baptist testifies of Yeshua who he is. He is the Son of God. Immediately, he's led out in the wilderness. And what's the first thing he's being challenged with? This title, the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. You know, oftentimes, we put the emphasis on Yeshua's hungry. He hasn't ate or drank in 40 days. The emphasis on Satan's trying to get him to eat. Uh, no. There's nothing wrong with Yeshua eating at any time. Right? I mean, would that be a violation? Would that be a sin? The temptation, see the temptation for what it was. The temptation was, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Challenging him, if you are the Son of God, you've created all things, making these stones become bread, no big thing. Show me you are God. 
But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yeshua wouldn't give in. Isn't it interesting that the very same thing Satan came and challenged Yeshua on, calling into question that he is the Son of God, is the very same thing Satan is doing today. He's calling that title into question. Satan could have picked any one of the multitude of titles that Yeshua possesses. Lamb of God, Light of the World, Son of David. He doesn't choose any of those. He chooses this one, the Son of God. Let's continue in verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He doesn't do it once. He comes again. Does he use a different title? No. He comes to tempt him and challenge him. If you are the Son of God, jump off. You're God. And let me be clear here. I don't want you to miss this. Satan knew that Yeshua was the Son of God. Okay? He knew this. He wasn't coming to test him as, I'm not sure who you are. I want to make sure I can find out. So I'm going to tempt you. That's not what this was about at all. And, and this is clearly evidenced throughout the New Testament that Satan knew just who he was. Let me give you a few examples of Satan's demons, of his angels, Satan's minions. Let's see what they thought of him. Mark 1.31, Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak. Think about the power here, the authority. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. What did they know? Mark 3.11. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. This is what they knew. This title, the Son of God, it bears great meaning. And in the spiritual realm, think about this, in the spiritual realm, this appears to be the title which Yeshua is most often referred to as. I find that very interesting. I'll give you another example, Matthew 8, 29. And suddenly they cried out, demons, saying, What have we to do with you, you Yeshua, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? It's interesting in, in, in both the, the, this dialogue that happened with Satan and the dialogue that happens with the demons they're both identifying the great power that this one possesses, the Son of God, right? Commanding stones to become bread, throw yourself off, you're God, you're not going to die. And here, look at what is said here. Have you come here to torment us before the time? The demons know who he is. He's the Son of God. And what did we read about last week in John chapter 5? That he is the judge. All judgment has been given to him. And we read about in Revelation 6, the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. So, from the commencement of Yeshua's earthly ministry, John the Baptist, he declares him to be the Son of God. And from that very moment on, it would be that very testimony that Satan and his kingdom would call into question. But, a serious blow is given to Satan's campaign by the abundance of the testimonies found in the New Testament. 
And I want to give you a few examples of said testimonies. And as we look at some of these examples, I want you to notice here how these individuals arrive at the conclusion that Yeshua is the Son of God. If we go to the Gospel of John, we find that Yeshua, he has a conversation with a man by the name of Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel, it's important to note, had never met Yeshua before. Never met him before in his life. And this is what is recorded, John 1.47. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Yeshua answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, after Nathanael saw that Yeshua had intimate knowledge, I mean, just look at this text here. It alludes to the fact that Yeshua possessed information which only God himself possessed. Okay? Which only God himself could have. Most likely, I mean, the details aren't here. Not all the details are here. But most likely, Nathanael had prayed, or was praying, a very specific prayer to which Yeshua himself responded to. In any case, Nathanael, because of what Yeshua said, responds and confesses him to be the Son of God. The Apostle Paul, he himself had a similar experience. We all know what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Uh, he, he was on the road to Damascus to actually persecute the church of the Messiah. And on his way, he sees this light, knocks off his donkey, he goes blind for three days. God commands Ananias, go. You're going to heal him. He's going to receive his eyesight. So Ananias goes, as the Lord commanded. He heals him. And the text says that Paul, he, he, had, been fat, he had not ate for three days and three nights. He ate and spent some time with the disciples. Listen to the first thing that he does. This is amazing to me. Acts 9.20. Immediately he preached the Mashiach in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. That was Paul's testimony. That was John's testimony. That is Nathaniel's testimony. He preached in the synagogues, what? That he is the Son of God. Now how did that go over? Not so well. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Isn't that interesting? The very thing, the very reason why the Jews wanted to kill Yeshua and stone him for the testimony that he is the Son of God is the very reason Paul, they sought to kill Paul. The message that Yeshua is the Son of God, it is controversial. It is a controversial message. What was Peter's declaration concerning Yeshua? Matthew 16, verse 13. When Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. Now it's interesting that he says, some say John the Baptist, because at this time, John the Baptist was beheaded. He was killed. And what did Herod say? Oh, man, when, when, he, when he heard of the fame of Yeshua and saw his works, he said, it's John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Right? So, some say John the Baptist, some say Eliyahu, and others, Yirmiyahu, or one of the Nevim. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? The first question is, what do men say? Who do men say that I am? This question gets even more specific. Who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Mashiach, the Son of the living God. Yeshua answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Yona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I want you to consider, first of all, what was Peter's confession? When Yeshua asked him point blank, Who do you say that I am? It was this title that Peter confessed. You are the Son of the living God. That was his confession. But Yeshua adds something here, so important that we, that we don't miss. And he says that um, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Interesting. The confession that Yeshua is the Son of God is what? It is a confession of supernatural proportions. It is one of the Spirit. No one can know God. No one can know the Lord, without that spirit. You can't make confessions like Yeshua is the Son of God without the Spirit of God. You understand? This is a spiritual message about a spiritual being. Amen? And just consider this. In 1 John 4.15, I didn't put it up here, I'll just read it to you really quick. John tells us, whoever confesses that Yeshua is the Son of God... God abides in him, and he in God. And that is the title used in that text. Whoever confesses that Yeshua is the Son of God. This is a spiritual message, and you are not going to make this confession without the Spirit of God. Judeo-Christianity is, hands down, the most unique religion in the world. It understands that the Father of the universe has an only begotten Son, and that son is, in fact, Yeshua Hanatsri, Jesus of Nazareth. Unfortunately, the Judaism of today, they don't believe this. You know, you ask your typical Orthodox rabbi today, and they will tell you that, well, the Mashiach was never thought of as the son of God. The Mashiach is simply going to come. He's going to be a man, a highly favored man, but he's a man nonetheless. Well, let me say this. Archaeology tells a, a somewhat different story regarding Judaism. At least the Judaism around the time or before the time of Yeshua. I'm referring to one of the greatest archaeological finds in history, what is known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Within one of the fragments that were found was something very interesting regarding the expected Jewish Messiah, something that was recorded. It's the fragment 4Q246. It is called the Son of God fragment. And this is what it says. He shall be called the Son of the God. They will call him the Son of the Most High. He will judge the earth in righteousness, and every nation will bow down to him. With help he will make war, and will give all the peoples into his power. This fragment was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It shows us, okay, it shows us what Judaism before the time of Messiah thought of the Mashiach, the ideologies that he is the Son of God. So despite what most of Judaism believes today, we see that roughly before the coming of Yeshua, the Jewish people were in fact expecting a Mashiach that was called the Son of God. So if history would suggest that the Jewish people were in fact looking at a Messiah 
who is called the Son of God. And we have countless testimonies, again, just to reiterate, in the New Testament, Jewish testimonies from the first centuries, the Dead Sea Scrolls supporting this. What happened? What happened? Simply put, since Yeshua came and began his earthly ministry, Satan has gone out to challenge Yeshua's very title. The very title, the Son of God. Satan has gone out to strip Yeshua of his glory. That is what is happening. Satan has gone out to strip Yeshua of his honor. And Satan knows just how important it is to confess Yeshua as the Son of God. So I don't wonder why the Jews today deny Yeshua as the Son of God. Satan hates the Jewish people, and he's gone out to sow seeds of perversion. But I'll tell you this, there is a time coming, and I believe, Lord willing, that our very eyes will see it, where the Jewish people as a whole, Israel as a nation, will turn and make that confession. The tragedy of this situation is this. Satan has gone out to deceive the world. We have a lot of religions that all confessed Jesus, right? At least to some level. Judaism confessed Jesus. You'll find that many Orthodox rabbis will uh, see him as a Pharisee. A good Pharisee, all right? You have Mormons. They confess Jesus to some extent. You have Jehovah's Witness. They confess Jesus to some extent. What do all these religions have in common? They all deny the Jewish testimony, the testimony of the New Testament, that Yeshua is the Son of God. All of them. The Muslim religion, they believe in Jesus. They believe he was a great messenger sent from God. Another religion. This is the Dome of the Rock. And... This is in Jerusalem. If you guys haven't been there, I'll take you there real quick. This part right here, this sits on the center. In the center of this is a bunch of dirt. It's said to be where the place Abraham brought Isaac and sacrificed him, called Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. It's called the Temple Mount. This is where the temple of God stood. And the Holy of Holies was right over the center of this building. The Holy of Holies, where the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, would go in once a year on Yom Kippur and make atonement for the sins of Israel. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you in. Because what you're going to see is outside here, the perimeter, there's writings, Arabic. Here's a close shot of it. You see these Arabic writings. Well, on the south side of the outer of the octagon, the south side, so that would be here, we read this. In the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate, there is no God but God alone, without partner. Say, he is God, one God, the everlasting, who has not begotten and has not been begotten. He is without equal. It's actually a statement from the Quran. Do you think it's a coincidence that the very thing that Satan came and challenged Yeshua on, on a specific title of being the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, John 3.16, and that now sits on the Temple Mount, this statement that Satan's put up here, that he has not begotten. Let me show you in the inner octagon, on the east side. It says, 
nor say anything but the truth about God, the Messiah Jesus, son of Mary, was only God's messenger. His word that he committed to Mary and his spirit proceeding from him, so believe in God and his messengers. Do not say three. This is the testimony sitting on the Temple Mount today. Show you one more on the Northeast Corridor. It is better for you, for God is one. Glory be, uh, glory he to him that he should have a son. And in any words, God forbid that God have a son. The very thing that defines Judeo-Christianity, and I'll close with this, the very thing that defines Judeo-Christianity, that separates us from the rest of the world, is the confession that Yeshua is the Son of God. It, it, I may have used this imagery last week, but I, I want to reiterate this. If I was to paint a picture of you of this entire study, the divine nature of God study, it's probably going to be a 10 or 11 week study, if I was to liken that to a human body, this part that we're getting into about confessing him as the Son of God, it would literally be the heart of the body that pumps the blood into the rest of the body. That is how important this message is and how important you understand him as the Son of God. Shabbat Shalom.